It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you had a lovely weekend. Wasn't the weather beautiful? And continuing into this week as well. Welcome to the show. Lots of chat and guests over the next couple of hours as usual. Megan Campbell is with us. Irish international soccer player on her birthday. And of course... Uh, She's just signed a new contract with a new club. She's with us a little bit later on. My Artists of the Week. Will they have the law on their side? That's all I'll tell you at the moment. Cathy Marr is with us, our uh, pharmacist, who's uh, with us from time to time on Late Lunch. She's teamed up with the Mary Keating Foundation. You know, fellas, we're not great. Boys were not good, really, at paying attention to her health. And Cathy's going to be talking about it to us today. Legendary food guide, reviewer, you name it. John McKenna is with us on the show. We're going to hear about a brand new initiative called Sea Louth that launches tomorrow. We want to hear from you, too, on the show. Our number is 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me if you want to call in. It's 1850-715-958. But I begin the show today with a truly inspirational young man. And if you're in the heart of Dundalk on Saturday, there was some session going on round the square. Let's hear a bit more about him and it. Tyg Mulligan, welcome to the show. Terry, how are you getting on? Thanks very much for having me. Not at all. I'm delighted to have you someday, Saturday boy. Oh yeah, cheers! It's fantastic. What an, it was! It was overwhelming the, the support that that uh, the, the people at Dundalk showed, and a lot of friends and family members came down to, to, to give you well wishes and 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 to tell the story. So yeah, it was a great day for the town and a great day for uh, for the, the fundraiser that we're currently uh, working on. You know, I heard the Mary Wallopers stole the show. I the Mary the, the Mary Wallopers. <laughs> I told you, brothers there, Charles and Andrew Hendy with Sean McKenna. They'd be great friends of mine, you know, and, and they're yeah. playing they're playing some serious music around the country, singing songs and ballads. And and uh, I suppose when those lads come down, they're just fierce good crack as well. Like it, there's a bit of non-stop laughter when they're <laughs> about and a and, uh, really good bunch of lads and, and I have a lot of time for them. They really so, uh, are. Yes, I know them myself. Oh, they're great lads. They really are. And, and to, to boot, you raised almost a thousand euro. But leave that aside for a second, because let's step back with you back to the early noughties what age were you when you were diagnosed with leukemia around eight nine was it 
I say, yeah, eight, eight, nine years of age, um, so it's going back nearly 17 years ago, you know. Mm. And what do you remember of that time? You know, when you were a child, does it, the seriousness of it dawn on you? Can you cast your mind back to that mind of eight, nine years of age? I suppose, like, you realised you were, you realised you had had an illness, like, you know, and you, you might not fully grasp the full extent of it, you were, you were, um, you were explained, like, explained what, what was, what was the issue, it was, it was, um, Leukemia. It was um, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and at the time, that, that meant nothing to me. Like you know, it's all big new words. But um, I suppose you, you kind of got used to going to the hospital every Monday with your mum and dad up to Drogheda or Lady Lou's hospital in Drogheda, and then you'd have visits up to Crumlin, and it, it just became a normality. And then you got very well versed, I suppose, when you're eight years of age or nine years of age, and, and people start telling you you need to have your hemoglobin count up in your platelets count which would carry oxygen to your brain you've became very familiar with all these um, technical terms because if you had good uh, blood tests for the week then you could go out and you wouldn't have to hide away from people a bit like we're doing in COVID times now you'd be prone to infection you know so depending on what score you nearly got as I would have called it on the Monday in Drogheda from your blood test results you could have a you could go out and play football you could go out have a good week or, or it might mean that you're Energy levels be low if it weren't if they weren't up, up above a, a certain count, you know. So, and mm. um, it it became a normality for me, you know. And uh, a lot of good memories, although of of when I was sick too. Like there, uh, it uh, it really shaped how, how I think of life now. To uh, since being sick, you know. So, how long did you go on this journey before you got the thumbs up that uh, all that hospital visits and treatment had to end? So I think my treatment lasted about three to three and a half years um, between Drogheda and between Our Lady Lures Hospital in Crumlin. And then maybe if you were going down to a traditional music festival down in Leitrim or that, you'd have to stop off in the hospital in Mullingar. Um, and the nurses and doctors were phenomenal. Like uh, a lot of those nurses, were, you, you, they were so friendly and so they put you in such a good mood for the week. And you'd look forward, you'd look very much forward to going and talking to them and telling them how, how you got on for the week and and uh, they could be asking you about football or they could be asking about the music, but they, were, they really, really, really helped me and my family and uh, they made the whole journey, um, they made it, they put a personal personal touch on it for, for, for me and it's a, it's a lasting, uh, it's yeah. had a lasting effect on me since, you know, and same to the doctor, my do- consultant, Dr. Angus Mark, you get, and Mark, and other doctors I would have um, would have worked with, you know. Yeah, so, you know, you worked, I uh, listen to what you say, you're a musician, well-known musician, a musical family, but you, your life, your schooling, your music and everything sort of was interwoven with these times and depending on how you were, how much you could partake. So look at, you, you, you get over this and, and thank God uh, you've been in, in really good health since. Now, you mentioned people there in hospitals and places. One place that's very special to you is Barrettstown. Tell us why. Oh, Barrettstown, yeah. It just brings uh, feeling, memories of joy and happiness there. And um, for those you don't, that don't know Barrettstown, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place down in Ballymore, Eustace, in County Kildare. And it's for families and for patients of serious illnesses and, and childhood cancers that you can go down and not worry about... Uh, having to go for for medication or that because they're on site facilities for, for administering medicines and you go down and meet other families uh, that have, have illnesses similar and you get to be a normal child for, for, for the full weekend or you could go on a week camp they had sibling camps 
and family camps and, and like the activities when I was there. I went there in 2004 and, and I, had, I had lost a hair at that stage and, and you didn't really see any other children with, 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 with no hair. But uh, you could go down there and you didn't mind. To, I used to wear a cap. I probably still wear a cap to today. Like, uh, um, as a reason of losing your hair, you, you, you could see other children that had no hair. And, and like, you could, like, you just, it just made you feel, like, so normal and good. Mm. And you had so much fun. Like, I had, I had some great fun. And, and a very funny, funny memory I have down there. We went fishing one day. And uh, I hadn't caught a fish in my life. Mind you, I tried a few times. But I, I was probably too noisy for the fish down in, in Leitrim and that. But uh, <laughs> we went fishing anyway. And uh, I was lucky enough to catch a, a rainbow trout. And I was able to, I have a photograph of it. Um, and I was so, so happy catching my first ever fish. And, and you know, you're feeling confident. So you say, I'll cast out the line again. And, you know, you know you're, you're on a roll here. So I cast the line out into the water and, and was waiting for the for it to drop into the water and then I see the line starts taking shape you know it's, it's starting to unravel and I'm looking down below at the, at the lake and I can't see where it is and then at the corner of my eye I can see the line is, is accelerating into the sky as opposed to into the water and I had caught a duck so <laughs> the duck is made flight and I'm there with the rod in my hand thinking do I let go of the rod or do I hold it and eventually the duck made a belt for it and a couple of the feathers came back but I, I think the duck went on to live a a happy and prosperous life as well, but that that was a very funny uh, day there. So I had not only caught a fish, but I caught a duck as well. So that was a great day, you know. Well, I'm fishing all my life, and I can't claim even an episode like that. Well done to you, and lucky duck. But you had your fish, and you made your mark. Now, the hair issue. You mentioned not having hair. Look, your hair today. I've ha- I've just looked at you. Oh my God! This red hair. Not a mop. The length of it. How long have you grown it? Well, you see, I probably, I had a, as the lads call, you know, them Kiwi haircuts with the, the short back inside and a wee bit of length on top, probably in, I was down in Ennis in 2016, so I had a bit on, like a bird's nest kind of a haircut. <laughs> and then after that, uh, I just started to let it grow, you know, and it had been, it had been, uh, like I always thought, lo- I'd love to be able to grow in my hair long enough to donate it, you know, through, these, through another charity that I became familiar with, Rapunzel yeah. Hair Foundation. And I just, so I never thought it would get long enough, you know, because when you started to look into it, it had to be a minimum 14 inches and it couldn't have any um, chemicals put it. So you couldn't have had, a, had any bleach or, or perms, you know, them mm. curly, curly jerry perm, whatever, those perm hair. Yes. Are, are, and you couldn't put, uh, it couldn't be damaged hair. So there was a lot of conditions for it to be... Um, to be able to donate it and then it got long enough and I, and I had started a new job here in uh, Dundalk at Wushi Melodic and I wanted to get my hair cut uh, before I started you know to make a good first impression or whatever but uh, sure all the balls I was there to get it cut and then sure the barbers and hairdressers uh, were all shut down with the with the lockdown so then I, I, I it got it got to a stage where um, uh, we said uh, we'd, ra- we'd, we'd we'd get a move on with this uh with this uh, fundraiser called that, and my sister, my sister and myself and my family set up the the Just Giving um, page and uh, to raise uh, called it the Charity Chop for Barrett's. And so it's now, I'd say probably twenty seven and a half inches or, or there or thereabouts when we measured it last. And uh, my auntie Annie up in uh, Profile Hair Design in Mullingar sent down these products, you know, to make it all nice and, and put it in its best condition you could have before you donate it, but. 
she sent it. I opened the, 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 the package from Mullingar and there was butter in it and there was milk and, and all you were missing was the, the, the eggs and the orange juice, you know. So <laughs> the, the butter and milk has been, been put into the hair for the last while to give it a nice shine and, and to give it a to give it a, a, the best possible condition it could be in before you, uh, you cut it off. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's fantastic, I have to say. And the lender, folks, almost 30 inches at this stage is the hair. Beautiful red hair and it's glowing. Charity shop, chop. Charity Chop for Barrett Sound, you're calling it, and you're donating, as you mentioned there, to the Rapunzel charity. And this hair will go to other children who haven't got their own hair at this time. That's right, yeah. Oh, it's great. It really is great. When are you having it chopped? Uh, I got a date of the 8th of July, so there's another week. I'm going to keep the fundraiser going until until I get the hair cut. So it's the 8th of July, 8th of July and a half 11 in Mullingar in Profile Hair Design with, with my Auntie Annie. There you go. So it's going to all go then and will be donated. The other thing about you, and I'll come back to this to remind people again of how they can donate, and I'm going to tell them the incredible total you're at as we go on air today here on Late Lunch. You decided after this illness and when you went on to study further and into third level that you wanted to dedicate your life to helping others tell us tell them again you mentioned there Wushi Bio, uh, Biologics in Dundalk but this has been your life now as what a biological engineer yeah so I, I suppose after being I did my, my schooling in, in the Marist up until junior start the fiery obviously first to put me on the right track I know and I would have been sick when I was in the fiery school so and they would have helped me along so so much there with Kevin Stanley and um, all my teachers um, and then went on to the Maris to do my junior cert, and then I went to the Clash de Riche in town across the road uh, to do my leaving cert. And then from that, you, you wanted to be able, like, I, I think I kind of thought I wanted to be a doctor coming out of school, you know, to be able to do what my consultant mm. and doctors did for me. But then I, I, I kind of realized that there's a lot of hardship that I would have would have preferred not to have seen because doctors... And they always talk about the, the, the patients that survive and the good news stories, but you have to see the other side of the coin. There's a lot of people that don't survive, you know, and that would have been quite difficult for me. Like just to, I, to, I thought it'd be quite hard as a career to do the, to do that. So then I thought, look, if you can go in and, and medicines, like so if you can go in and start making pharmaceuticals or biopharmaceuticals and, and get it to a point like I know this is, if you thought like you go into a, a shop and buy a bottle of of water, or you could buy anything, but imagine like in the future, if you could go in and every medicine would be available to every family or every child, and it could be readily available. So to be able to do that, facilities have to be built, research and development has to be put in place, and funding, and um, it's a huge network, and it's it's a, it's a fabulous, fabulous industry here in Ireland. I started off my my first summer internship in Roche in Clarecastle in in Ennis or just outside Ennis, uh, and I got my first exposure to um, en- the engineering world, but I was also able to play the traditional music in the town of Ennis, which was a fantastic scene too. And then after that, I went up to Alexion Pharmaceuticals in in College Park in Dublin, and I did a year-long inter- internship up there and um, worked with some f- fantastic people. Uh, you still you still would talk to today, um, a group of, I studied in UCD, University College Dublin and I have my cohort of friends from there but when I started in Alexion um, I met 30 other interns from Queen's University in Belfast and, and we're still best pals like to, to mm. this day so you're introduced to another college of, of, of engineers and also people there that are in the top of the field and then 
having done the uh, election, I then went away to Turin playing a bit of music in Russia and uh, in in Europe with with um, with a dance show, and uh, that was great fun as well. And then when I came back, I started up in Takeda uh, Biologics in Dunboyne, which is now um, MSD, so Merchart yes. and Dome Biologics Dunboyne, and they they're making an excellent footprint here in Ireland with with sites across the, the whole country, but. And um, my time up in Dunboyne, like uh, as I said as well, similar to Alexion, spent two years up there and um, worked with a fantastic team. I was in the engineering department there, and some friends there, like uh, absolutely, absolutely loved it. You know, learned so much because you're you're working on these projects that are start out as a greenfield, you know, and then yeah. in a couple of years' time, then they they manufacture they have a full full state of the art uh, facility with with the best in the best in the industry. Uh, working with mines and uh, young people, old, old pe- older people, and um, multidisciplinary teams there and cross-functional teams, and and you really are exposed to a great, great industry. And mm. each of those companies then also has a different drug or or, or medicine that they're working yes. on the treatment. Mm. You get to hear the patient stories, like and you, and it's really personal for me mm. seeing the, the videos of how the, how your work is impacting the, the quality of life of other people. Yeah, and uh, and then I suppose an opportunity came up in Dundalk, and I was commuting up and down. Yeah, on the Matthews bus and, and bus Aaron, and it was early start half four in the morning to get up to get in for your meetings for half seven or eight, and then. You mightn't get home till eight, nine, ten, eleven o'clock. It would depend on what testing you were doing or what yes. work you were doing. So it was a long, long day. Like you yeah, know. And, and a no-brainer to move back and home and, and yeah, and work in the same area as well. It's a terrific story that you've dedicated yourself, thinking of others now. Now let's come back to this uh, charity chop for Barrettstown and uh, aiding the Rapunzel charity. Your sister set up the JustGiving.com page charity shop chop for Barrettstown uh, on the 20th of June and tell us where you're at now you had a, you had a target of a thousand euro but after Saturday in the centre of town and the word getting out since the 20th of June what does the fund stand at today? Well uh, uh, last I checked just before, before coming on air there it had surpassed the 14,000 euro mark which is, which is absolutely phenomenal like you know the support Marvellous Marvellous it really and is And I'd like to thank I really want to thank all my friends family and everyone that shared the story and uh and um, and spread the good news and, uh, yeah. and there's a, there's a man in particular, Dave Sheridan, uh, from Manor Hollins in Leitrim, who's who's living in Dundalk now. He's married and, and a couple of children, or three children, three lovely children. And uh, he he can he put the he's a great man for coming up with or bringing ideas to the next level, you know. Yeah. And putting them into action. So it was his idea, Dave, to to record a video of me telling my story. Um, at his house, and uh, just to say what kind of similarly to what we're talking here, what I remember from Barrettstown, yeah. why, why I'm doing, why I'm doing what I'm doing, and yes. just to spread the good news. So I can't thank Dave Sheridan enough. Absolutely, for with me yeah, and everybody. And then again, you know, yeah, and everybody who supported you. Just reminding our listeners today, just justgiving dot com charity chop for Barrettstown if you can help at all it'll be much appreciated you're a fantastic fella you're a wonderful musician let's hear what your music is all about wish you well and thank you for joining me on the show Tig thank you Terry take care
Yeah, an incredible guy, Tyg Mulligan. Oh, I have to tell you that uh, yesterday, I, I, you know, I love the old garden myself and I've had spuds in pots from early on. So the little salad potatoes that came early, but lifted the first of the outdoors yesterday. Oh, my God. Duke of York, new potatoes. Would you need anything else with them? Steam them and just a little knob of butter. Oh, wow. And I had a few garden peas as well to throw into the mix. Just lovely. But there's something about lifting the new potatoes, isn't there? The first spuds of the new season. It's just fantastic and really, really enjoy them. I'm sure there are many people who have them in their gardens all over the place lifting them at this time, but there's nothing to beat them. I love pasta, I love rice, I love all foods, but the new potato, the first of them at this time of the year, is just something else. It's a real treat uh, to enjoy. And if you've never done it before, get pots if you haven't got the space or open up a little bed in your garden and plan to do it next year. It's really, really worthwhile. Talking about food, coming up shortly on Late Lunch, the legendary Dr. John McKenna is with me, legendary food guide writer and restaurant reviewer, and he's getting right behind an initiative here in the Week County. We're going to hear about it after news and weather at two. But taking us there, it's Niall Horan and this town. Waking up to kiss you and nobody's there. God, we're getting mixed messages, aren't we? Listening to the news there, I felt over the weekend we were being conditioned to the fact that indoor dining would be delayed for two weeks, perhaps a month. Now you hear Leo Varadkar there in the news saying it's not necessarily a given. But I wonder, I wonder. We'll know tomorrow anyway, and it's good we'll know if there's any change because everybody's getting ready in the business to get going again. Food that has been ordered, drinks are on the way, etc. It's a difficult, difficult time. Now, we're going to talk about food and great food for the next while because when I tell you that Loud is setting its stall out as a must-visit staycation destination with the launch of a brand-new scenic seafood trail called Sea Loud. I'm a loud man myself, I never realised. 70 kilometres of coastline on the Wee County from Drogheda to Omeath, highlighting stunning scenery and the finest local seafood along the way. Dr John and Dr Sally McKenna, well, you know them well, I hear him, he's here waiting for me, are ambassadors for Sea Loud and John is on the line. Hello, John. Jerry, how are you? Do, you? do you hear what I said as a loud man there? I had to step back and think, have we that amount of coastline? <laughs> I think people would be surprised by it, you know. I mean, you have this perception of the wee county. Mm. Um, and I think what Sea Louth is going to show people is that you make a little detour off the <clears throat> off the M1. Uh, in fact, when you're at, right there at the north at Omeath, it's a very short detour indeed. And um, it's not only um, a significant coastline, it's a very, very beautiful coastline. When Sally and I were exploring it, just doing some research uh, for Sea Louth, we were just struck time and again by, you know, the uh, so many secret, quiet little places, uh, deserted little piers. Um, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. You know, when you think about seafood and great places, no need to remind you, you're near enough to it there. You think of Dunmore East, you think you can sail in the south, the west coast at Galway. Is it just a perception, John, when you've discovered yourself and Sally what you have? It is. It's, it's entirely a perception. Um, and it's entirely a question of um, local people saying, well, hang on a second a minute. You know, what have we got? What have we got to offer? And just as significantly, you know, what have we got to sell? Because um, for years, Galway was synonymous with the oyster because of the Galway Oyster Festivals, the first organized um, seafood festival in the whole country. 
And it really only requires a few small things like that, Jerry. And suddenly people's perception changes because, you know, as I say, the proximity to the M1 probably means people say, oh, that's loud over there and they're heading north or they're heading south. You only have to just kind of introduce them to the oysters, the lobsters, the seafood, and they see just how good it is. And it is genuinely eye-opening because a lot of people don't know it's there. And as you say, they think, oh, if I want to eat seafood, I've got to go down to Dunmore East or I've got to go to Dingle or Galway or maybe up to Killy Beggs. Um, but, of course, that's not the case anymore. What you see when you see the Sea Louth Passport and you see the producers, not just the restaurants, but the producers itemized, there are really, really talented people on the ground in Louth producing exemplary seafood. And I think, you know, in the modern world when um, there's, there's an increasing emphasis on what psychologists nowadays call the blue mind, getting away to the sea, walking on the sand, walking the pier, eating the seafood. Um, it's not just a great yeah, culinary experience. It's a great cultural and psychological experience as well. And, and Louth has it. And here, finally, with Sea Louth, is a wonderful opportunity to say, here is a brand, here is a zone, here is a place to go, not just overnight, but for the weekend, escape from Dublin, and, you know, have a real revelation about just how much is actually going on in the county. The passport is interesting, isn't it? Because it there are 14 scenic locations from the mm. south of the county to the north that you visit. And when you visit these places, it's a trail, really. It is a trail through the county. Mm. You, you, you get a stamp in the passport, right, in each of those places. And then, John, you must uh, sit and enjoy uh, the uh, fruits of the coast of uh, the Weed County at a couple of restaurants. Yeah, and I'll tell you something as well, uh, Jerry. Um, I mean, Sally and I have been writing about food in Ireland now for over 30 years, and occasionally somebody comes up with an idea and you say to yourself, do you know what? Everybody in the country is going to copy that idea. And I guarantee you that in three, in less maybe two, three years, everywhere you go, every greenway, every trail, you're going to find people saying, here's your passport, get it stamped, get to all the scenic points, enjoy the food, <clears throat> and complete the experience. Now, I mean, the, the, the Sea Louth Passport is a fantastic document. It really is. It's beautifully done. But more importantly, it just gives people all the information they need. Where do I go? How do I get there? When I get there, what can I eat? What can I drink? What should I be looking for? And I, I, I think it's, it's, as I say, it's going to be copied in 32 counties, in 31 counties in Ireland, um, because this is a, the, the passport is a real breakthrough. It's a, I don't know what genius thought it up, but it's a stroke <laughs> of genius. Kudos to the brains behind it and Loud County Council as well, who are backing this all the way. 40 participating restaurants, no excuse, John. There's some mm. choice there. There sure is, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I think one of the important things, Jerry, that people have realised in recent times, we used to think 10, 15, 20 years ago that the, the measure of the quality of... Um, a food experience was how posh it was. You know, if it was a five-star hotel, mm. oh, that's great. But you know, but a food cart, for example, I was sure that's that's a chipper. You know, but of course, in recent years, particularly with the growth of really of with food carts serving extraordinary quality food, people are now realising that you know you don't have to go to somewhere posh. That literally, you know, getting half a dozen oysters and a glass of stout, or a seafood taco, or you know. 
I mean, the, the ability, I think, above all, what Loath is, 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 has, is able to offer people is this. You can actually sit, looking down at a pier, looking at a boat that actually brought in what you, is actually on your plate. Now, there's actually not too many places you can do that. You can hardly even do that in places that are synonymous with seafood, like Killybegs, because there the trawlers are very big. So here you have small day boats. And not only that, one of the, actually one of the nicest experiences I've had in the last number of years, <coughs> excuse me, was to actually see in, in, in Dundalk Bay, is to see the traditional fishing methods when you have a f- small fleet of small boats. And when people think of seafood now, they think of great big, uh, you know, massive ships that are hauling in mm. enormous amounts of seafood. And they don't actually think that these traditional methods are actually still at use in, in, in County Louth. It's actually something, you know, you'd almost say to people, look, the next time the boats are going to be out, uh, you know, uh, doing the traditional uh, shallow trawling is going to be this day and this day and this day because it's a beautiful sight. And it, not only is it a beautiful sight, it's a beautiful sight that you don't see anywhere else. So it's a really valuable, genuine cultural experience. It's not fake. It's not that people in Laos, they're saying, oh, look, we've no history of seafood. You have a long and wonderful history of seafood. Going right back, I may say, Jerry, to when I was a kid. And when I was a kid growing up in Belfast in the 60s, if you wanted to have a bit of fun on a Sunday, you actually had to leave Northern Ireland. And we used to all go to Omeev. So I actually had my, you know, Sundays and holidays in Omeev. And it's really gratifying now to see Sea Louth and the talent behind it and to see a whole new generation of producers doing something which I think is really quite wonderful. And, you know, you remind me, I, I'm a great fan of Italy for holidays and on the Amalfi Coast sitting on a pier and a little boat coming into a restaurant and the fish coming off and us enjoying them. Here it is. This is happening in Louth on the coastline yeah. here and it's <clears throat> fantastic yeah. here. We don't have to go anywhere to enjoy no, it, John. No, you don't. You don't have to get on a, an aeroplane now to have that Mediterranean experience. Okay, it might be a little warmer in the Med on the south of France or on the Amalfi Coast, on the Adriatic Coast, but you can actually have that very real, very authentic experience. In fact, to be honest, Jerry, pardon me, I've got a frog in my throat, I'd go a little bit further. The quality of the seafood coming into love is vastly superior to anything you'd get in the Mediterranean. Mm, that's a Because big the waters statement. are colder. Yes. Uh, the quality in particular of the, the oysters that Sally and I were enjoying the last time mm. we were in the county, I mean, absolutely world-class. Mm. You know, not just good, world-class good. And it's the same with the lobsters. It's the same with the, with the wet fish. So as you say, th- there's no need now to, to get on a plane. You can simply make a little detour off the M1. And you're going to have something that's authentic and it's real and, above all, completely delicious and completely, um, you know, you also and you get to enjoy the hospitality. You get the crack, you know. Yes. You might not get too much crack on the Amalfi Coast from some of those waiters. <laughs> <laughs> the language barrier is <laughs> right, yes. Last time I was there, they weren't, they weren't saying yes, to me anyway. Yes, yes, I know what you're saying. <laughs> anyway, we've got to mention Carlingford Oysters and Keen Louis Fiser. I've tasted them myself and they're absolutely beautiful. But the likes of Oriel Sea Salt coming from the sea, John Delaney there. Great product. Oh, yeah, Carling, wonderful. Carlingford Oysters, mm. um, the Cooley Oysters as well. Yes. I mean, there, there really is uh, such exceptional quality and diversity and you know one thing <clears throat> I think if you live near the coast and you have access to good seafood you, you kind of have this idea that everybody has access to good seafood 
And even though Ireland is a small country, unfortunately, that is simply not true. So, you, you know, Laos really has this amazing USP. Mm. Get the people to the coast. Get them to eat what you're farming, what you're catching, what you're bringing up from the pots. Um, and, the, and the other thing, Jerry, which I think is really significant, you know, is when people talk about local economies, the really good way, easy way to build a successful local economy is to do it with your food and your food producers and your restaurants and your pubs. Because what you do then is people come in, they sit down, they have something delicious, and they spend their money. So the money stays in the county. And that's a really, really important lesson that a a lot of people have learned. Some of the real trailblazers, for example, in, in Dingle and in Galway, in Westport, over the last 15 years, that's really what they've learned, that if you want a successful local economy... Bring people in, get them to stay, get them to spend money, not on a bad experience, on a real experience. Get them to enjoy themselves and then get them to come back. Mm. And if you can do that, you actually build a really strong economy on something that is firmly rooted in the people and the culture and the produce. And then you have something not just for this generation, but for the generation after as well. You sure do. John, you're a great ambassador, I have to say. And I'm just reminding people, it's actually launching tomorrow. So we have a a real preview here the day before here on LMFM's Late Lunch. Just before you go, you heard me mentioning there earlier on from the news. It's uh, stop start again as regards indoor dining. And while I have you with me, I might as well ask you, John, uh, this has been an unprecedented 15 months. There are lots of people gone from the business who will never come back. Others teetering on the brink. Of course, there will be newbies will come forward. What's your thoughts on on the the government's decision tomorrow? Uh, It's an unenviable decision. It was all simple until the Delta variant. Um, It's a complicated decision because you're trying to match uh, vaccine rates with the the risk from from the Delta um, variant. uh, It's an unenviable decision to have to make. The one thing... Um, I, I don't want to sound too optimistic because, as you rightly say, people have had a difficult time. There will be people who've left the industry and they won't come back. What has amazed me, though, Jerry, is the way in which people have adapted. Um, you know, the thing about running a restaurant is really it's not like any other job, apart from maybe being a musician, because what you're doing all of the time is you're improvising. You're having to change. Somebody says, can I have this instead of that? Some, but the table cancels and six more people turn up at your door. Um, I remember a, a famous Dublin restaurateur said to me one time, you know, <clears throat> running a restaurant is like playing 3D chess. And so what you're really doing is you're playing 3D chess, but you're actually doing it every, every shift, every time you work. Yes. So restaurateurs are actually very expert at improvising and adapting. I've seen a lot of improvisation, a lot of brilliant adaptation over the last 15 months. We're going to have to continue that. But the one thing I'd say is people have realized there are other ways to get your to get your food to people. And as an overall plus, I think what we've realized in the last 15 months is how much we miss going to restaurants. Yes. You know, Irish social culture used to lionize pubs. But actually, what we've realized now is that the really the people who are worth lionizing are actually restaurateurs and sommeliers and waitstaff and chefs because they're the people whose work is so valuable to you know our, our ability to enjoy ourselves with our friends with our family so i think actually ironically there's a plus because i think people are saying to themselves my god goodness i've missed 
being able to go out, being able to have a wonderful meal, being able to have food cooked for me by talented people. I, I think ultimately, whatever decision the government makes, I have a feeling they may kick it down the road a couple of weeks. Even if they do that, I think people today have more respect for restaurants and restaurateurs than they've maybe ever had. And that is really quite a plus thing. Uh, it's a very plus thing for, for Sea Loud, obviously, yes. with you know, more than 40 participating restaurants and destinations. Mm. Um, but I think overall, restaurants, you know, um, they may have lost, <laughs> you, you know, they may have lost battles along the way, but, but they, they have won this war. Yeah. Uh, people venerate them and lionize them and respect them. Yeah. And I think that's important. And I think that's the one victory they could definitely take away from this. Ah, that's a real positive to finish on today, John. You're great. Always love talking to you. And well done to yourself and Sally again for backing Sea so Loud. Thank you so much for Thank your you time. Thank you so much, Jerry. Great to talk to you. You too. Take care of yourself. That's the brilliant Dr. John McKenna there, who's backing Sea Loud. It's launching tomorrow, folks. So the website will be live tomorrow. See, that's S E A, sealoud.ie. There are 14 scenic locations. You can pick up the passport we're talking about at any of the tourist offices in Drogheda, Dundalk or Carlingford. Follow the 14 scenic locations on the trail. Dine at two of the restaurants. Get your passport stamped and back you go to the uh, to the uh, tourist office then and there's a little surprise in store for you all. Yes. Does it make you smile? It does me, I have to say. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Wimbledon is back today, folks. No Wimbledon last year. And it begins again today. The big questions, will Serena do it? The record, will she make it? Will Djokovic equal the men's record? Oh, so much over the next couple of weeks will be answered. I've always loved it from I was a child. Always, always, always. And we're talking on Friday to Margaret Madden about improvising with the little rackets and the, the, the rope across the road for the net. We barely had a tennis ball. I love this time of year and I'll be following Wimbledon closely for the next couple of weeks. Ironically, you know, they normally get lovely weather in London, further south to us, but they're in trouble with the weather. It's going to be quite mixed, they say, for the next, the first week of it anyway, whereas we seem to have got the... The best of it here where we are, some lovely weather ahead for the for the next few days. So there you go. Wimbledon is back for all you tennis fans. Enjoy. Now, I got a lovely message in there a moment ago. When I read this, I have several messages, but this one caught my eye in particular because there's a photograph with it on WhatsApp. Oh, they're fantastic. They really are, Aidan. Jerry, you should have your own gardening slot. Thanks a million. I planted queens, queen seed potatoes, on the 4th of April. Here they are today in full bloom. When should I start digging them? And Aidan has them in a bed there. They're flowers, etc. But the queens are there. I'll tell you one thing. They're the healthiest of spuds, I have to say to you, Aidan. They really are. And the flower on the potato indicates that it's almost ready. The rule of thumb with early potatoes in my book is they need at least 12 weeks. So it'll be 12 weeks if you talk about the day you planted them there. Uh, we're talking about, what, April, May, June, July, round about the 4th of April, which is soon. It's next weekend or whatever. I'd give them another week after that, Aidan, to be honest with you, if I were you, just to let them bulk out a little bit. But you can start lifting them round about the 4th of July. And you you know, the fun is when they're hen egg size, the new potatoes, to eat them then. They're absolutely beautiful. Oh boy, you're in for a treat there. You really are. 
the new potatoes, garden grown, your own. There's nothing like it in the world. Hey, what about uh, Mr. Hancock? Hancock's half hour. Matt Hancock, the health secretary in the UK. Ah, you know the story. If you're following the news at this stage, do you know what I was thinking of? And and I I have a bean me bonnet about this. He was wrong. He had to resign the affair, the breaking of the social distancing rules. I don't dispute any of that whatsoever. But what I do wonder about is that somebody puts a weak camera into a smoke detector in his office, unknown to him, or it seems to an awful lot of other people as well. What's the story there? Is that right or wrong? I have to say to you, I believe it's completely wrong. It's a total invasion of privacy. That's on the issue there that I'm talking about. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Imagine you in your workplace or here where I am in the studio. God almighty, have they put a camera here? be nobody listening anyway they put a camera here in the uh, in the studio and I didn't know about it what what is that about that's a total invasion of privacy it's wrong somebody did it I hope they're caught and they are punished for what they did just an opinion whatever you think have you an opinion on it 086-1800-658 whatsapp or text me to the show now we move on on the show this afternoon top of the show we were talking to Tyg Mulligan and he was reflecting on a time he was battling leukemia he was only nine years of age and his story is a fantastic one how he's recovered and now he's working to help others in his professional life and personally the Marie Keating Foundation a well known charity who helps so many people as well are organising a four week men's health series and there are different experts involved each week in the webinar and week three is coming up tomorrow evening and one of our regulars on late launch is a big part of what's happening. Cathy Marr from Haven Pharmacy Indelik is on the line. Hello again, Cathy. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me on the show. Just before we talk about the specifics, and I, I mentioned it earlier on the show myself, and I'm talking about me and us, the boys in town and all over town and these two counties of ours and beyond. In general terms, have we improved? You know, there was a time I know men wouldn't go near a doctor, wouldn't touch a pharmacy, wouldn't talk about if there was anything they they wondered was wrong with them, not feeling well. Is that changing, Cathy, or has it changed? It's changing. We're we're not there yet. Um, And I know certainly in my 20 plus years of pharmacy, I'm interacting a lot more with male patients than I would have done 15, 20 years ago. You know, back then it would have been the wives, the mums, the partners, the girlfriends or the daughters that would have come in asking for advice for the men that they're concerned about. Certainly now more people, are, men are more self-aware, they're more, they are looking after themselves a little bit better. And interestingly, during COVID, we actually, I, I met men that I hadn't met and maybe had done the prescription for, for 20 years, but actually maybe their wives were cocooning. So we met a few more men that I hadn't met prior to COVID. So that was one, one good thing. But as a general Rule of thumb, men use primary care much less often than women and tend to wait until things get quite bad before they turn up and seek for help. And that's really what we want to try and reach out to. And in community pharmacy, we work actively to support men and boys. Don't forget, you know, your previous guest was as young as nine. Mm. want to support men and boys engaged in healthier lifestyles, choices, activities they do. But we use every conversation of our day, simple conversations, to start health awareness. And by doing that... We can encourage early detection and early treatment of any health problems that arise. Um, And that's really, really key. 
because the earlier we, we catch something, the earlier we treat, the better the prognosis of the outcome is for anything. I'm probably on the other extreme. Ask my wife if I had a, a pain in my little finger, I'd be onto it straight away. And that's probably <laughs> just sums up me, Cathy. But I, I have to say that, you know, I, I have friends of an age as well. And I often, well, from time to time we've spoken about this. And I've, I've been so aware and tried to encourage them. They've never, you know, I've never been to a doctor or never had their vital signs tested like blood pressure, cholesterol, things like that. You, you shouldn't really neglect that area. And it's funny you should say about the little finger, Jerry, because very often we would have a man in showing us something very, very minor, but the minute that there's a suspicion that it might be a little bit more serious, I do tend to see men that, that don't seek help for that because of the fear, the worry, mm. um, that there could be something more serious. And what we always want to reassure men and all patients, the confidentiality is the utmost importance. So your pharmacist is always approachable and ready to help. But you're right, would you believe about 52% of men um, indicate that they live with at least one and these are diagnosed with a number of significant health conditions, so whether that's high or low blood pressure, depression, other anxiety-related conditions, high cholesterol, chronic pain, heart disease. 4% of men are living with cancer. And we want to, to look at treatment and survivorship. But 42% of men take medicine ongoing for a long-term persist, persistent condition. And also something that came up just in recent weeks, 42% of men have experienced a healthcare impact due to COVID-19 restrictions. And when we look at their COVID weight gain, there's a lot of conversation going on about COVID weight gain, but the implications for health in terms of blood pressure, cholesterol, heart disease, depression, that has an impact. Mental health issues, alcohol consumption, and a reduction in confidence. So we're using Men's Health Awareness Week, which just finished on Father's Day, and then to work with the Marie Keating Foundation for this four-week, four-week webinar program mm. to reach out and look at men's wellness. So it's not just about treating illness, but trying to catch the illness before it occurs and actually help keep men well while they're surviving illness. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic initiative and the webinars will be available on the Marie Keating website ad infinitum once they're completed. We eagerly await yours from tomorrow yeah. evening. Now, you, you are specifically tomorrow night dealing with the area of helping men who are on a cancer journey. Absolutely. And really, how can they access the pharmacy? And sometimes the first interaction men have with the health system is when it's quite a serious diagnosis. And and suddenly then they're thrown into a system where there's jargon and where somebody like me might be talking to them about a drug payment scheme or a long-term illness scheme or medical card scheme. And it's, it's jargon. And they're trying to also deal with a diagnosis and treatment and drug names, which are never the easiest to pronounce. So how do we in pharmacy help men with cancer? We start very simply. We ask them how they are and what, what their condition is, what treatment they're receiving, and explain how each medication works. And very often when you know what medicines are going to do, it helps you understand why you need to take certain ones. So for men that, with cancer who are undergoing chemotherapy, they can have a prescription that might have five, ten different medicines on it. And they're not really sure sometimes, particularly now in COVID times, when appointments tend to be alone, and you don't have another pair of ears with you listening to what each medicine is for. So we try to make sure that we explain what medicine is the steroid, what medicine is the chemotherapy medicine, what medicine is the anti-sickness, the pain relief, and go through each thing and give them reassurance around how it will work, what side effects to expect, and what interactions they may need to do. Um, other things such as maybe some high-tech medicines, where maybe they have to do a self-injection. 
And again, that's fearful when that hasn't been done before. So we will sit down and reinforce how that how, how that medicine has to be injected, things to watch out for, review, watch out what side effects they might um, expect. And then we would talk about what other medicines that are safe with their treatment on their cancer journey. So some medicines may be prescription medicines that they're already taking, over-the-counter medicines, herbal medicines. CBD comes up a lot. So we talk around the full treatment protocol and all of the medication and what's safe and what's effective. And then, as I said, we talk about the government drug schemes because that that's in a whole other layer that's really hard to try and get your head around when you're trying to deal with a diagnosis as serious as cancer. Mm. And then we tend to be the key, key liaison between all the other healthcare workers. And there's a bit of fragmentation in the, the health system here whereby everyone has their GP, they might have a consultant, they might have an oncologist, they might have a cardiologist if it's cardiac disease, they might have an endocrinologist, but they all get their medicines back in one pharmacy. So that we're the one with the complete picture and we're the key link between them all. So it's important that people use the same pharmacy when they can, but use us as best they can. We're there ready and willing to speak to people about their medicines. And men, we know, find it very, very challenging. All pharmacies now have a private consultation area and there is no difficulty using that, mm. asking to use it, just thinking, I have a quiet word. The opening hours are extensive and there is that flexibility. People can pick up the phone, they can walk in. It's a very informal, non-threatening environment. So typically men would have thought that it was just a place where there was a perfume smell, makeup counter, and there's somebody at the back counting tablets. And that's not what it's like now. It's a relaxed, approachable service. And it straddles public and private health systems that all people are equal and they're all access the same advice. The consultation room is also very private. It's visu- yeah. visually private and audibly private, so it has a closed door. So it's really, really important that people know that they can use that and just access it. No, it's uh, so important to emphasise that you have a key role and your local pharmacy that we all have a relationship with has a big role to play in this area. Now, it is a webinar, and this is for anybody going through this journey, or for anybody at all, really, is it tomorrow evening? Anyone at all. And yeah. actually, um, you can access the webinar. It is live tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And as you said, it's, it's week three. Week one um, was a GP. Week two was around movement. Week three is around the pharmacy. And week four is around general wellness. So it's really, really fantastic series. I'm really trying to reach out to men. So the webinar is there. You can pre-register and it's free and open to everyone. And if not, it's also available on Facebook Live. So we live streamed as well on Facebook. Um, so going on to either the Marie Keating Foundation website, and it's tomorrow night is the first event that will pop up. You can go and register for the event, or tomorrow evening go to Facebook and search for the Marie Keating Foundation, and we'll be live streamed from 7 o'clock. There you are. It's all over the place. MarieKeating.ie is the website, and you'll be joined by somebody from the Keating Foundation. Exactly. There'll be myself and Mary Dempsey, who is the Clinical Nurse Director the Marie Keating Foundation um, and we'll be there there'll be questions coming in people can quite pop in questions in the chat box so we won't be speaking for the full hour I'll be speaking for maybe 15-20 minutes talking through different even questions that people can take away and ask their own pharmacist and then questions that can come up whether they're cancer related whether they're pertaining to a very particular male cancer whether they're around some services that are available anything at all pop up and myself and Maura are there to answer those questions Wish you well with it. Just before you leave us, have to uh, ask you this one. Uh, since we last talked, uh, the delivery of the COVID vaccine was about to start in pharmacies. How are you getting on? Really, really well, Jerry. Um, the latest figures that I saw this morning, we've almost 6,000 
Johnson & Johnson doses given in about a 10-day period in community pharmacies across Ireland. That's 6,000 over 50s. So 6,000 vulnerable people that wouldn't have been vaccinated otherwise. So that's just phenomenal. Um, the interest that we have received was higher than we expected because, um, and the reasons I think we spoke about before why people have maybe held off for the single shot jab or maybe they've held off because of transport reasons or childcare reasons or other reasons, which is just maybe a vaccine hesitancy and just didn't feel comfortable having the, the vaccine up until now. So we're seeing a really, really good take-up. We have had our delivery confirmed for the Pfizer vaccine, so that is coming into us within the first 10 days of July. So we'll be hopefully taking appointments from then. So it's been really, really successful. Obviously, we're seeing in the news today and on social media, I'm watching very closely to see if NIAC decide to reduce the age for the Johnson & Johnson single-shot vaccine because currently we can deliver to over 50s, but we're not sure how that's going to go. So we'll, just be, we'll be watching this space. You know, This is something that changes changes very rapidly, but um, it's great to see that the uptake is there, the accessibility is there, and people can just pop to the pharmacy and have their vaccination, which is super. So they should, if you haven't been vaccinated, uh, what's your message to people today and maybe you haven't been contacted yet? Uh, is it okay to get in touch with your pharmacy and see, you know, wh- where you are with this? Absolutely. So if you have pre-registered on the HSE portal and now you think, actually, I'd prefer to have the vaccine delivered in my pharmacy, contact your local pharmacy and see if they're a participating pharmacy. So there are about 800 pharmacies that are delivering the Johnson & Johnson and then there are about 350 that will be delivering um, the Pfizer. So check and see where you are in terms of either over 50 or a vulnerable group, and then ask your pharmacist to put you on a waiting list or put you make an appointment for you, whatever way that each place is working it. Um, there's no need to pre-register with the HSE portal to receive your vaccine in the pharmacy. That's really important to know. And if you have already pre-registered, it doesn't prevent you having your vaccine in the pharmacy either. It just means that you're nearly, nearly hedging your bets, you know, seeing which appointment comes up first. But mm. certainly what we're finding and the feedback we've got, people are loving the accessibility, the ease. They're in, wait their 15 minutes and they're out. And it's been really, really successful. Oh, sure. Your uh, master's added with the flu vaccine uh, for years and years. And, and it's a similar drill, of course, uh, with this one. But just before you leave me again, final, final one today. Uh, no need to uh, stress and we need to do it. We do need to stress it again. Vaccination is the way out of this, Cathy. Absolutely is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be foolproof. And we are all still learning with COVID. But this is how we're going to, going to get out of it. When we see case numbers rising... What we don't want is an impact on the hospitals and the ICU capacities. We want to get through to winter because when we're looking ahead in, in our own pharmacy, we're looking ahead to our flu delivery and winter and what's it going to bring. We need to increase it. You know, we have a great vaccination rate in Ireland, but we need to keep that momentum going. We have had a lot of inf- a lot of inquiries from the younger adults, the 19 to 25, 26-year-olds, and they're really keen to get vaccinated, which is great to see because they must feel that they're so far down the list so it's great to see that so many people have picked up the phone and said, when can I come in? The pharmacy will be delivering the vaccine at the Pfizer vaccine at the same time as the age cohort through the mass vaccination centres. So if the centres are on the 30s plus, we'll be on the 30 plus. So we'll just have to see. But definitely, if you're not on the list somewhere, register, get your name down somewhere. So definitely when the vaccine comes in, when your time comes, take it. doesn't matter which vaccine it is. It's whichever one is available is the one to take. 
and reminding you to register again, mariekeating.ie or on Facebook as well for the webinar tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock with Cathy Marr from Haven Pharmacy in the league. Thank you for joining me again on the show, Cathy. Thanks, Sherry. Bye. I was watching Kylie at Glastonbury the weekend. Woohoo! Oh my God, 120,000 people will we ever see it again? Noel's been on to say, I agree with you on the hidden camera, Jerry. It's unacceptable. How the hell did it get there? It's espionage. We're going to find out. It's intriguing, isn't it? Leanne says, Hancock had to go, Jerry, but the way they got that picture, it certainly does infringe on his privacy. I agree with you. I think it does. It really, really does. Ah, staying with sport, no joy for Loud yesterday. They went so close. Samuel Roy with the chance in the last minute of the 70 odd. They just hadn't got the uh, enough in the tank, had they, for the extra time and they bow out. Anyway, they're promoted this year and looking forward to Division 3 football next year and hopefully more progress. What about the soccer and the Euros? What do you think at this stage? Oh, it's shaping up for England. It really is. Holland beaten now and there, half of the draw. Whoever wins that game tomorrow night between Germany and England, well, I think they could go all the way to the final. Watch this space. Football could be coming home at long last. Talk about home. You'd want to stay in your home, wouldn't you? In British Columbia, did you see the uh, temperatures over the weekend? British Columbia, north of Vancouver there. They broke the record for Canada's all-time warmest day ever. 465 Six degrees centigrade, almost 47. Think about that, 47 degrees centigrade. On a pleasant day here, it'd be, what, 18, 19, 20 degrees would be a lovely day. 46.6, I couldn't stick it. I have to say, I always prefer being cooler and keeping warm rather than being roasted and trying to cool down. That's just me, I don't know about you. That's the way I feel about it. But 46.6, you could roast a chicken on a table in the back garden in that temperature for sure. Wow, thank God we don't see temperatures like that in Ireland. I'm not decrying the good weather, we want lots of it, but not at that level. Please, now my artist of the week... This week, first performed as a three-piece, they were a three-piece, on August 18th, 1977, at a club called Rebecca's in Birmingham. It was uh, an inconspicuous start for them, it has to be uh, said. And it was, if you think about the time, 77, the end of the punk era, it was on the wane. Yet they still drew from that influence and they combined it with the likes of reggae, jazz and progressive elements of the music game to carve out a new and exciting sound. They begged, stole and borrowed to make their first album called Outlanders de Moore, which was released in 1978. Listen to this. They had no manager, no record deal, and the group could only hire studios for a limited time. Yet this first record yielded singles like Can't Stand Losing You and Roxanne. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Yes. Yes, from Difficult Beginnings, Stuart Copeland, Gordon Sumner and Andy Summers, a.k.a. The Police, would soon become the biggest and most in-demand group in the world. An appearance on the BBC's Old Grey Whistle Test. Yeah, that made you if you got on there at the time for sure. In late 78, and they were on top of the pops in early 79. Well, that really set them on the way. And today on Late Lunch, I'm opening my set of five from the police with this one from their first album. If only I had the hair. <laughs> I can shake the head, move a bit. But when that came on years ago, oh my, oh my. 
Yes, yeah, so lonely from the police and their first album, Outlanders to More. It didn't chart that one actually on the time, but I have the album and I always love that track from it. Yes, the police are my artists of the week this week on Late Lunch. We'll have another song and more about the boys around about this time on the show tomorrow afternoon. It's a big day for Megan Campbell. Well, she's had a few big days recently. Yes, the former Manchester City player, Irish international from Drogheda, has just signed for Liverpool Football Club. And today is our birthday, and I'm delighted to say the birthday girl is with me next. I have Megan Campbell on the line. Oh, a new chapter in her career is just about to begin, and it's her birthday today. Megan Campbell, happy birthday. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you. Oh, God, you're getting on now. Do you hear the fellow that's talking to you getting on? Anyway, you're only a whippersnapper still. Congratulations to you as well on the big news in recent days. You've signed for Liverpool. I have indeed, yeah. Um, I'm just very grateful to, to continue on the football journey and looking forward to the next year ahead. How did it come about? Um, well, obviously, I had stepped away from City after five years, so um, I was just looking for a new challenge, um, something hopefully close to home if possible. Um, and Matt Beard, who was at West Ham and then went to Bristol City as an interim manager, got in contact with me and said, wherever I end up, Meg, I want to bring you in. And um, Thankfully, he ended up up north, close to close to where I live. And um, yeah, when he told me he was going to Liverpool, I, I couldn't say no at all. Like, what a massive club, what a, a renowned club for what it's done for um, men's football but also when the women's league started they were the leading the leading team and um, unfortunately over recent years they've ended up in the second division but you know like the the opportunity to go there and to bring the club back up to where it belongs in the top WSL is is a, a challenge I'll relish and that's the thing about it. This is a new challenge for you because you've been involved with the best of the best. Look at all the success you've enjoyed right through your career and especially the last five years or so at Manchester City. But this is a different type of one. You're building there and Liverpool looking to go back to the very top in women's football. It must be exciting. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think also for me, I've not had that much football in recent in recent years. Um, so I'm just looking forward to getting back and and playing consistently and building on my performances week in, week out. Uh, hopefully I can do that by helping Liverpool to get promoted. And we've obviously got a few Irish um, faces in, in the camp now as well. Nefite is obviously already there and then Leanne Keenan has just signed as well. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting in and, and getting around the team and pushing for promotion. So when do you actually get down to business? When does the training begin and what's the immediate plans now? Uh, today was the first day, so pre-season started on the birthday, which is uh, a lovely, a lovely birthday present, you could say. <laughs> um, uh, we got eight weeks of it now. We'll have some friendlies, um, and then the end of August is our first game for for the season for the championship, and we'll go game by game and build on it. But obviously, there's a new manager in Matt. There's a lot of new faces in the squad. Um, so yeah, it's it's just about getting getting used to the team, everyone getting used to each other and gelling together, bringing that success out on the pitch as well. You've mentioned uh, recent times and it's been difficult for you. Injury has plagued you. How are you? How is the body now? I'm good, yeah. I'm, uh, I definitely don't feel like I'm 28. I feel a lot older, but um, I'm happy with, with where I'm at now and I'm looking forward to kicking on and getting consistency in my training and my playing and that's 
that's all I'm striving to do. And if if success comes along with that, then I'll be more than happy. But for me, it's every day at a time and um, building up like that. Um, but yeah, I'm just happy with where I'm at now, and and I've worked really hard over the last year to get myself in this position. So. I need to take it with with both hands and, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the challenge. What about your international career? Have you been in contact with Vera Pal? I have, yeah. Um, Vera's messaged me and and congratulated me on my move and we've been in close contact constantly over the recent camps and stuff like that about trying to bring me in and unfortunately due to COVID regulations and um, everything that needed to be done, it wasn't safe for me to travel just to train and... um, so I continued on my rehab plan um, at City at the time and then in the off-season here myself. But, uh, yeah, she's been in close contact with me and keeping keeping up to date with where I'm up to and trying to help me in any way that she can. So the, the contact has, has been great and I am grateful for that, to have that continued support. What's it been like uh, from your perspective this last 15 months or more since COVID arrived? I'm sure, like everybody else, it's been a tough, tough time. Besides your injuries and uh, the uncertainty until now, you have your contract, of course, with Liverpool in general terms. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably one of few who could say I was quite fortunate in that my job wasn't, you know, furloughed or I wasn't made redundant. I was I was lucky enough to be able to continue to, to train and play in, in my job um, my job description. And so I know I was quite fortunate for that and I was grateful for every day to be able to get up and to go to work because I know many, many people weren't able to do so. Um, I think for me, what I missed out on most was obviously spending time with my, my partner's um, family over here. We couldn't go and see them. But bigger than that, I haven't been home since February of last year. So... Um, for me, it's been quite tough in terms of not being able to see family. I think the longest I would normally go is two or three months without getting home to see my mum and dad and, and sisters and that. Um, so, yeah, it, in that respect, that's the t- been the toughest thing is to not being able to see family. And um, I, apart from that, I can't really complain because, like I said, I was very grateful enough to be able to still go to work and to still participate in, in what I do. Um, and I know... It's been a horrible 15 months for so many people. Um, yeah, so it's not. It's, it's been challenging. It's been tough. Um, but I think it also shows the the unity within countries and the strength and depth um, within people as a whole. Um, because just to see the amount of great things that actually do come from such a tragic time is is you know what keeps you going really, isn't it? Mm, certainly. You've been conspicuous by your absence because you were a regular visitor uh, home, of course, and please God, uh, the situation will improve as we move on through this year and into next, and you'll be back in the hometown of Drogheda. I'm just thinking as we're speaking, you know, when I think about football and women's football in particular, and women involved in football at all levels, and punditry, there are so many women now involved as pundits on our TV screens. It's come a long way, Megan, since you started out. Yeah, 100% it has. I think it's continuing to grow and it's a credit to the people who have come before us but also the people in our positions right now who are who are striving to, to push women's football and women's sports in general. Um, it, it's incredible and, and I hope it long may it continue. Well, look at long may you continue too. We wish you all the very best on this new chapter of your 
soccer career with Liverpool. What a club you're going to. And of course, we are just so waiting for you to be back wearing the green for Ireland again and driving uh, the team on to international success. Again, as I leave you today, happy of happiest birthdays from everybody here back home in Drogheda and in Ireland. And I'm sure we'll be in touch through the season ahead as things develop. Thank you, Megan Campbell. Cheers, Jerry. Thank you very much. Oh, she's a star. She really is. And she's so good to us here. She's always been available through her career to chat to us going back. I remember on Sunday Sport, she's a wonderful, wonderful uh, young woman. And we wish her well in the red of Liverpool and the green of Ireland again, I'm sure. Celebrations are well underway, the other side of the Irish Sea. Anyway, that's almost a lot on late lunch this afternoon. Just to tell you what's coming up tomorrow... Yes, we thought we might be weaning him, but we can't, can we? Professor Paul Moyne is back with us on the COVID matter. Sinead Kelly is here with veterinary advice. And no list to environment, no worries. Love is always in the air with matchmaker Sharon Kenny. All to come and more besides on your late lunch tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Stay with us. Big thanks to Brian Farley, who's guiding me through the afternoon today. We leave you with Katie Tunstall. And suddenly I see. See you tomorrow. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.